We live in perilous times. How many times have you heard that this week? It's strange for sure. Perilous, I'm not so sure, but it's very strange. And there are many who are living in fear, abject fear. And uh, their, their life has been turned over upside down and completely backwards, and they're not accustomed to it. And there's uh, this anxiety that seems to be hanging in the air. The book of Isaiah is dealing with a time similar to this, except for the fact that it would actually affect 100% of the people of the nation, not just a slim fraction. It would affect everyone. And the preacher, Isaiah, is telling the people there is severe judgment coming. And if that wasn't enough, you deserve it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the preacher's message. You have sinned. You've chased after other gods. You've done other things. You've, you went against the will of God and you deserve what's coming. And it's going to be bad. And so the very... The very first 35 chapters or so of Isaiah is judgment's coming. It's not just for you, Judah. It's not just for you, Israel. It's not just for God's people. It's also for all nations. The book of Isaiah comes down against virtually every existing nation at the time. And this is some 750 years before Jesus walked on earth as man. And so it's going to affect everyone. And we've stumbled into a situation in our nation and in the world in the time that we now live in where seemingly all of this is affecting us. But the degree is completely different. Isaiah is preaching to a people that will soon be uprooted from their own country and those that survive, survive the attack, which will be a very small percentage that actually survive, they'll be taken into captivity and they have to learn a completely different culture. They have to learn a different language. They'll have to submit to a, a king that doesn't care for them at all. They'll be conscripted into labor, slave labor, and be required to do things that are completely outside of their comfort zone. The first 35 chapters of Isaiah speaks to that fact. And we know from our history, we know that that's exactly what happened. There was no good thing that could come from this, you would think. There was, there's nothing at the end of the tunnel except a, a raging train. And yet, in chapter 40 of Isaiah, we have, in fact, for the, last, in the next 26 chapters of Isaiah, the last uh, third of the book, is this idea that there's a remnant, that there is something good that will come, that will be for all nations, someone that will actually come and, and provide what's exactly what's, uh, what's needed to a, to a perfect degree. Oh, it's going to be bad. And there are going to be literally thousands, hundreds of thousands dead. They say that when uh, Assyria came in and, and took uh, the nation, the northern nations, that blood 
literally ran in the street as if there were a storm, but it wasn't water, it was blood. And then when Babylon came in about 150, 200 years later, they came into the city of Jerusalem, the same thing. It was bad. And it affected everyone. But the prophet Isaiah, as all God's messengers, they always brought a ray of hope. Oh, in the darkest hour, Oh, and it can't get any worse than this. And it did. It got worse. But even with all of that, Isaiah says, there's hope. Chapter 40, verse 1, begins with this hope. Let me just read a few of these verses in Isaiah chapter 40. Look what he says. Comfort, O comfort my people says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her, and her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There's some hope, and we start to see this. The prophet says, oh, it's going to get bad, but there's something that's coming. Comfort from God. Your sins, which caused this problem, which caused this mess, which caused this uh, captivity, this destruction. God says, I covered that. How about that? Now, that should give us pause. That should give us some comfort. Because the past may seem implausible. uh, And the future, impossible. Imagine those people, they're being carried off into captivity. The northern tribes are never going to be uh, a nation again, ever. They're dispersed. The southern two tribes, years later, would actually come back as a nation, but severely handicapped. And then by AD 70 completely destroyed. The nation of Rome comes in and wipes them out. But in in the book of Isaiah, the future seemed impossible, but God works in ways we cannot see. He, He will make a way. He did for them, and remind me again who they are. They're God's chosen people. Hmm. Who are you again? God's chosen people. Does the future seem impossible? Does the present seem implausible? Do you wake up every day and go, what's next? Yeah. You see, this isn't the first time it's happened. Won't be the last time as... People are people, people are fickle, people make mistakes. We're led by individuals who may or may not have any idea what they're doing. We're not the first ones to have to suffer through that, won't be the last, but God will make a way. And I wanna just put this out here right off the bat. I am here right now. And here's why I'm here. 
It's by God's appointment. Consider that just for a second. You're in this master plan. God has this plan and he's in charge and you're here by his appointment and in his keeping. Hmm. Do we believe that? Do I believe that I'm here by God's appointment and that I'm in his keeping? I'm under his training. Maybe this is a way to learn a lesson. Yeah, maybe. And what is the most difficult, it's for his time. Not necessarily mine, not necessarily ours. God works in his own time. And so put that in the back of your mind. You're here by God's appointment. You're in his keeping. <clears throat> you are under his training, and it'll be in his time. All right. Now let's look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and let's see what we can find as far as comfort concerning our situation. We can learn principles of comfort from what was preached 750 years before Christ. We can learn that in 2020, 2020 years after Christ. And we're looking at a book that's 2,700 years old, approximately. What can we see from this? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3 says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There is absolutely no doubt in the mind of Isaiah, and for that matter, in the mind of God, that he is making special preparations. It's been said that heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Question then becomes, am I prepared? The book of Isaiah Obviously, our mind immediately jumps to the fulfillment of this prophecy. John the Immerser, the precursor, the one preparing the way for the great hope of mankind. Yes, John the Immerser is described here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he says, I've been sent on a mission. I'm preparing the way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we automatically think of it, but in 750 years before Christ, they wouldn't have thought of that. They'd have said, I need to get prepared. <laughs> Everything that I see happening around me, this is temporary. He goes on to say, I'll tell you how temporary it is. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the lord blows upon it surely the people are grass 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. When God speaks, sometimes it's like a blast furnace. (laughs) And if we're not ready, it can knock us down. It can completely bowl us over. Sometimes it's a blast furnace, and his voice is there to remind us that he's in charge, not us. And he says, sometimes you need to be reminded of who's in charge. You need to check the relationship you have with your God in heaven. Yes, sometimes the word of God is like a blast furnace, but there's some hope. Sometimes the word of God is a, is a blessing. Because his words can provide comfort. They can provide guidance. They can provide a relief from anxiety. It's a blessing. Isaiah will say in the next many, several verses, he'll talk about the wilderness that is completely barren. There's been a famine. There's no vegetation. And he describes the wilderness as blooming. It's coming back to life. Well, who is this individual that can provide that kind of miracle? What would provide that kind of miracle? Been down to Arizona, been down south someplace in a desert, and you look around and you say, wow, you've been to the Holy Land, you see what that looks like? Ooh, it's not what's described in the Old Testament as a land flowing with milk and honey. No, it isn't. It's a desolate place. There might be some rain, but it comes in flash floods, and it's bleak. But it's interesting to think that this prophet tells his people, that there is comfort. There is something that will be provided for us. This is the message of hope. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the nursing ewes. He says there is something and someone who is available for your comfort. What's fascinating is in the next several verses of this particular chapter, God reveals himself in sort of a question answer forum. And what he does is he describes himself and he gives himself uh, a couple of titles and a, and a name, and you are you may be familiar with his name. Uh, Yahweh is his name. That's the Hebrew form of of the word God, and really it has this uh, concept of this being that is eternal. Remember when he said, "Tell him I am sent you, the eternal existing one sent you." That's the Yahweh term. But he also has a couple of titles in this particular chapter. He's got the title Elohim. Elohim is the plural form, and it is the one that suggests the mighty one. Those verses we just read, his mighty arm, he will use his arm. Does God have arms? No. What he's describing here is his strength. But he also has another title. 
Adonai. Hmm, what's that? Well, we don't use the word sovereignty, and if we do, we're called names for it. But God is our sovereign Lord. What does that even mean? He is the one that makes the rules. He's the one that says, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. This is what pleases me, this displeases me. This is righteous, this is wicked. Hmm. There's a standard? Yep. And God is the sovereign ruler. He has the authority, the final authority. We turn on our television today, and it seems like the authority figures keep changing. Who's in charge here? Is anyone in charge? It seems chaotic. Different states make different rules. Different doctors have different suggestions. Is there anyone in authority? We can say yes, God is. God is the final authority. And when we face various trials, there are two options available to us. And there's probably more, but really two big options. One, turn away from God, or worse, blame him. We even have in some of our insurance documents an act of God. It's not covered. It's an act of God. We blame God? Yep. And insurance companies get away with that. They, they charge you those premiums, and then they can say, no, we're not going to pay. It's an act of God. We can do that. We can turn our backs on God. And I've seen that happen uh, in the last few months. There's been a lot of people turn their back on God. They've basically curled up in a ball and given up. It's like, wait a second. Is that really how God wants us to react to this? There's another option. We can turn to the authority we can turn to the scripture, to the very breath of God. Remember, it can either be a blast furnace or a blessing. We can turn to the breath of God, and we can, uh, with fellow Christians, we can ask for wisdom, and we can ask for God's power. Through prayer, we can talk to him, and we can say, please help us through the situation. Remind us again who's in charge, who's the sovereign ruler. You see, worry cannot make anyone secure. You can't make your life secure based on worry. And it can't change circumstances either. That's why Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. That's easy to say, isn't it? But it, there's a reason. And so what we see in the next few chapters, or excuse me, next few verses, here, here is what the problems are. When we face anxiety, when we face situations that are outside of our control, which is a lot of things, isn't it? <laughs> when we face all of that and we turn on the television news and we expect to see some comfort, we expect to see some guidance and we don't get any of that there. Well, here's where we can turn. Here's where we can look for comfort. We see in verses 12 and following, there is a creator. 
There is a God who's able to speak things into existence. Remember when he said, let there be light? <laughs> what happened? Oh, there was light. And we also see that there's nothing to compare to him. Are there idols? Yes, we make idols. We, we carve things into idols and we cover them in gold. They're beautiful. But what's interesting about an idol is if you want it to move, you got to pick it up. <laughs> you got to carry it. Well, it's not much of an idol. God says, I don't need your help. You don't have to pick me up. And when you compare God to idols, there's no comparison. And then God says, you're worried about your strength. You're worried about your health. You're worried about your livelihood. You're worried about and we have to nod and go, yeah, all those things, yeah. He says, my strength has no equal. In fact, I can provide strength. And then the question comes, to whom? Well, let's see. Don't you know? Have you not read? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grows weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired and they will walk and not become weary. Wow. That's good news. You know, the young people in our society, they're the strong ones. They're agile, they're mobile, they're quick. All the adjectives that old people remember. <laughs> and it's kind of funny when you see a bunch of old men playing softball, they think they're young. <laughs> then you see them run. <laughs> Nope. But even worst case scenario, young men grow weary and tired and they stumble. Man, are we getting tired? Are we stumbling? Have we put our faith and our trust in our government or our doctors? some bureaucracy somewhere? Have we been disappointed by any of those entities? Maybe what we need to be reminded of is our faith in God. He does some, something very fascinating. Isaiah does something very fascinating. He starts with what would be the easiest and proceeds to the most difficult. What would be the most uh, the most easiest between flying, running, and walking. Well, if I had wings, flying would be kind of easy. If I was an eagle, you ever seen an eagle soar? What are they doing? Their, their wings are just stretched out, and they're just making these massive circles, and it looks so easy. They're just up there, cruising around, enjoying those warm currents that are coming off of the earth, and they're really not moving very much of their muscles at all. They're just up there enjoying it, 
Pretty simple. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. When your strength is gone, that's the easiest thing you could do. Just let the wind pick you up. And there you are floating. Oh, how beautiful. Well, let's get back down to earth just for a second. He says, not only will you mount up with wings like eagles, you'll run, you'll not get tired. There are people that run for fun. Who does that? I don't know. And why do they do it? I don't know either. But it's, they do it. They run. And in this case, Isaiah says, they'll run and they won't get tired. And the last, they'll walk and not become weary. We're watching these military movies, these war movies, and in basic training, the staff sergeant or the the drill sergeant gets them out of bed early at 0400 and the 60-pound pack goes on their back and they're out for a a 20-mile hike. Anybody up for that? 20 miles? I would imagine after 20 miles, they grow weary, trudging along step by step by step. Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're in that situation where you're just trudging along, just barely able to put one foot in front of the other. Or maybe you're like the young man, you're, you're running. Maybe you're at the top of your game and you're flying. God says, I got that. I will provide the strength you need. I will give you the courage you need to face another day. I will provide the things that you're worried about. You believe me? See, this isn't the first time, and it won't be the last. We've got to put our faith in God. Because if we don't, we'll lose track, we'll lose sight of the ultimate goal. I want to be with Him for eternity. Don't you? Hmm. But what if I get tired? I'm tired. God says, I'll provide that strength. And one step after another, and what do we reach? The goal. What's the goal? Heaven. See, there is hope. God wants you with him. And when you want to throw in the towel and give up, God says, don't do it. Turn to me for wisdom, understanding, and strength. And I'll provide exactly what you need. Those who wait on the Lord will not grow weary. By all means, wait on the Lord.